You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Weekend Review. Here are your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Welcome back to the Collegian Weekend Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. And today we'll be talking to Jillian Parks about a new movie, Cocaine Bear. I'll be talking to Lauren about a historical landmark in Hillsdale that was going to be demolished, but is now going to be saved. And then we'll talk to Jane Kitchen about some awards that journalism students at Hillsdale College won recently. And then finally, we'll hear from Michael Bachman about a student who traveled to speak to the UN over his spring break. This is Lauren, and I'm here with Jillian Parks, the social media manager and reporter at the Hillsdale Collegian. She wrote a story this week for the culture section about a review of Cocaine Bear, which I hear is inspired by true events or inspired by a true story. So Jillian, tell me about this movie. Okay, so this is a movie that I heard about and I was like, well, I'm definitely going to see it, whether it's absolute garbage or whether it's going to be a cult classic because it, it will be one or the other. It will not be like mediocre or whatever. And boy, oh boy, was I wrong. But we'll get to that later. Uh, I heard about the movie and I was like, I've got to write a review for it. And so we went... Um, it's an R-rated movie, so I had to show my little ID. Keep that in mind. Um, and it was gory. It was gross. Um, but I just closed my eyes for those parts, so whatever. Um, it is inspired by true events. And the premise of the movie is very much a bear becomes essentially addicted to cocaine and then goes on these ramp- high rampages killing people. Um, but what happened in real life is just the bear ingested cocaine and then died. 45 minutes later, um, but it is an imaginative retelling of what could have happened if the bear hadn't died and had there been children on the loose in a forest. So you mentioned that the whole plot of the movie was a bit strange, especially involving scenes with the bear himself. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go into that with a little more detail? Yeah, sure. So the bear was clearly CGI and it wasn't bad CGI, but it wasn't good CGI either. So Therein lies the problem of this movie very much being almost good if it had just committed to one or the other. Like if it had just been like really high budget and really well done, it wouldn't have been a movie I liked, but it would have been a better movie versus like committing to the bit of like being a stupid movie and having a stupid premise and like having the effects be kind of lame, but the dialogue maybe a little bit more raw. I don't know. That was my my thoughts on it. But the bear itself, again, was that CGI in between where it's like almost good, but not quite And then there's all these scenes of the bears just ripping these people apart, which my eyes were closed for because absolutely not. I'm not consuming that kind of media. Um, And I would recommend you close your eyes there, too, if you have a weak stomach. Um, But the bear chases these people around. There's like a bunch of different storylines, plot lines, if you will, of like these children and their mother and this park ranger and her lover. Wow. There's like these teenagers that are, I don't know, they're teenagers And then there's these drug dealers that are looking for the cocaine and they all culminate in this big forest and there's so much cocaine in this movie. The kids eat it, which was a little bit disturbing, if you ask me. Um, Again, at first I was kind of like, oh, but that must have happened in real life. So they had to show it. No, that was just a creative extrapolation that I didn't appreciate in the slightest. Um, But the bear is is pretty, pretty central to this movie and everybody else just basically revolves around its insane actions. Tell me about some of the potential themes in this movie. And at the end of the day, 
if you thought there was an actual theme. So I did struggle with this because at first I was going into this thinking it was going to be a B-list movie, like a really funny movie that just like committed to the fact that this was a movie called Cocaine Bear. And then it didn't. And so I was struggling trying to find a theme that they were going for. And I eventually settled. I say this in the piece, but I eventually settled on the theme of family because that seems to be the only unifying factor that like, oh, the drug dealers, they're doing this for their family. And like the one drug dealer son who doesn't want to do the business anymore is doing it for his new family to protect them. And like the mom follows these kids into the forest because they're her family. And like these kids want more attention from their mom, who's their family. And so there's all these like familial themes amidst lots of gory effects. Um, Potential other themes include anti-drugs, being anti-getting involved in that because the side effects are pretty bad in this movie. Um, Love, love's a good theme. Delinquency, there's some real delinquents in this movie and they wreak some havoc. And then you see the product of delinquency all grown up with this drug dealer who like kills this. Oh, there's also family in that the cocaine bear has cubs. And so at the end of the movie, these cubs are like, please don't kill my mom. They don't say that, but they, they make a little CGI face that's like, please don't kill my mom. And the audience is like, oh, and then the evil drug dealer comes in and he almost kills their mom. So at the end of the day, Jillian, would you recommend this movie and would you see it again? Okay, I I would see it again, but only with somebody who hadn't seen it before. This isn't like a movie I'm going to gather around and be like, oh, guys, remember that movie? Let's watch it again. Like, that's not going to happen because um, it's just not really worth my time. But I do like the idea of watching somebody else react to it in its absurdity because um, there are some good one-liners. There's some really good shots. There's some good moments that I would like to see people react to, but I wouldn't watch it for itself. On the whole, I would recommend if you don't have a weak stomach and if you're above the age of 17 – it, it's a worthwhile use of your time because it's like it's an experience this movie is an experience it's not just a movie it's like oh everybody in the theater is coming to see this weird movie together and all of us are reacting together that's kind of how i felt when that one movie i affectionately call it mithrigan but it is just megan with a three in her name um about like the ai robot everybody was in there because they knew the movie was going to be cheeseball they knew it was going to be weird and so the experience of being in the movie theater made it worth the money, not necessarily it being a great piece of art. Thank you, Jillian. Yeah, of course. You're listening to The Collegian Week in Review. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Lauren, my co-host and the assistant opinions editor of The Collegian. And this week, Lauren wrote a story about how the Hillsdale Historical Society has saved a local historical landmark. So, Lauren, tell me a little bit more about this story. Morgan Morrison, a board member of the Hillsdale County Historical Society, reached out to me and told me that he had reached out to Meyer about preserving the wall of the barn with the advertisement of Mail Pouch Tobacco Company. And so Meyer happily agreed to let the Historical Society um, save this advertisement. And they even offered to um, like disassemble that part of the barn and pack up the wood and even transport it to its new location. What's the significance of this? So the male pouch tobacco barns used to be kind of like an American staple. 
And it started back in, I believe, the 1890s. Um, so the Male Pouch Tobacco Brothers, that was like the company, would pay farmers one to two dollars a month to have them paint an advertisement on the side of their barn. And the advertisement said, chew male pouch tobacco, treat yourself to the best. And so these used to be very common in the United States. I believe at one point there were over 22,000 barns with this advertisement painted on it. And it is a great example of commercial folk art and a really fascinating marketing idea because basically this tobacco company saw a way that both farm farmers and themselves could benefit because barns needed to be painted um, in order to not fall apart and in order to withstand the weather. And so this was a way to kind of help out the farmers, but also a really brilliant marketing idea because they were all over America and everybody would see this tobacco company. And so now there are only a few left in the United States, or not a few, but um, there's definitely not 22,000 left. And I think in the state of Michigan alone, there are only about 40 to 50 left. And so it's kind of a piece of American history that used to be really prevalent and is going away. And I think it shows how America used to be um, very much an agrarian society and how we're, we are more industrial now. But that was kind of a little piece that kind of showed our roots of being an agrarian society. And so it's really special that the Historical Society is able to save this little piece of American history and um, let people not entirely forget about it. So I know that you wrote the original article for the Collegian uh, reporting that Meyer, you know, when this was still their plan, they were going to just demolish this barn. Uh, did that article have anything to do with the ultimate decision to save that piece of it? Yes. Yeah, so I published a piece uh, about a month ago how Meyer had plans to remove the barn and people had reached out to them wanting to kind of repurpose it but they hadn't made any final decisions on what they were going to do with that. I think because nobody ever proposed like a solid plan until Morrison from the Historical Society did. And one of the things that Morrison mentioned to me is that the article that ran in the Collegian about a month ago um, was shared on multiple Facebook pages. And so that gave everybody the solid information that this barn was not going to stay on the Meyer property. And Meyer had no plans to restore the barn. I mean, understandably, because it would have taken tens of thousands of dollars to restore this barn. Um, that's just an unrealistic expectation to put on Meyer, especially since their one job is to kind of, you know, they bought this property, they're going to build the grocery store. Like, you can't hold them to that expectation. Um, but once this article got out and a lot of people knew that the plan was to remove it, I think then a plan of action could actually be established to, okay, what's something realistic we can do? What's something realistic we can ask of Meyer? And the best idea that was presented was to save the one wall of the barn that had the advertisement because that was a way to kind of preserve this piece of history without spending much money. Where is this one wall from this barn going to be? 
So something that I talked to both Morrison and Kathy Fowler, another board member of the Historical Society, about is that they own the property of the Will Carlton Poorhouse. And on that property, there is their new museum called the Barn Museum and also an old barn that stores a couple of their things. And they haven't quite decided where it's going to go. It's going to be in either the new barn museum or their old barn that they've owned for years. And depending on the dimensions of the display will determine where it will go. Are you excited to shop at Meyer? I mean, I've never been to Meyer before, so it, it'll be a new experience that, yeah, I guess you could say I'm looking forward to. And now you feel morally okay because they've saved this landmark. You know, as a history major, I was obviously very sad when I heard that the barn wouldn't be saved, um, just because especially I love American history. And I think it's really cool to see a lot of aspects of an agrarian lifestyle that we still carry over today. Like, for instance, FM, um, like when you, when you see a roadside means farm to market. And so, like, that's something from agrarian society that, like, we still have today in an industrial society. And so it definitely made me sad to see that kind of going away. And so, of course, I really appreciate Meyer being more than happy to do this and obviously go out of their way to disassemble it and to package it and to deliver it. And so, yeah, I will definitely give Meyer my business. This is absolutely going into the weeds here. But, well, thanks for sharing, Lauren. Of course. The Collegian Weekend Review continues. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Jane, the assistant culture editor of The Collegian. And this week she wrote a story about some awards that some radio and journalism students at Hillsdale College won recently. So, Jane, tell me a little bit more about uh, this story. Yeah, so over spring break, um, the winners of both the Michigan Association of Broadcasters gave some awards out, and so did uh, the Michigan Press Association. And a bunch of students won a bunch of awards in from both of those organizations. It was very impressive performance from Hillsdale. What were some of the first place wins? Uh, there were three first place winners in the MABs, and that included students uh, Josh Barker, who's a senior, um, for his show The Policy Corner, Michigan Affordable Housing and Property Taxes, Elena Lanning. Um, one for her show, Five Minute Myths. WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, won Station of the Year, uh, which is awesome. And the Collegian got third for College Newspaper of the Year. What did people have to say about what led to that first place win for Station of the Year? So one of the people I talked to was Scott Bertram, and he really emphasized the dedication of the radio students, um, that they're just really eager to improve and that there's a great culture of trying to produce very high quality work. Station of the Year is determined by how many students win awards. So Hillsdale had the most students get first, second, or third um, in all of the other categories. I heard there was a really fascinating show that also won first place. Do you know anything about this? Yeah, I've heard of it. It was Collegian Week in Review. What were some of the uh, Michigan Press Association awards that Hillsdale students won? So one of the first place winners was Carly Moran, who won in the feature category 
for her story, This Is Not a Partisan Issue, which was about uh, the war in Ukraine. And yeah, I talked to her. She said she really wasn't expecting to win. And um, she was just trying to approach it from a place of neutrality. And it was a very well-written piece, very impressive. Um, Hannah Cody also won a first place award for non-front page design. There were a lot of awards in page design. It was very impressive. I think we took first through fourth in non-front page design. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Jane. Thanks for having me. Radio Free Hillsdale's The Collegian Week in Review continues. This is Lauren, and I'm here with Michael Bachman, the Features Assistant Editor of The Collegian. This week, he wrote a story for news about a Hillsdale student who visited the UN over spring break. So, Michael, tell us about this student and how he had the opportunity to do this. Yeah, um, well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, So... Transfer student Mark Den Hollander had the opportunity to uh, go to the UN over spring break. So he works with Christian Council International, which is a, a nonprofit that works with global organizations such as the UN and the EU to um, put forward a Christian perspective, a biblical perspective on issues. And the UN over spring break was hosting their commission on the status of women. So Mark had the opportunity with the CCI to lobby at um, this commission on the status of women. What was the purpose of the conference? So the conference was established in the 1940s. And since then, it has been held every year in the spring. And it's always about a different woman, women's issue. Uh, This year's main theme was on female empowerment in uh, the technological age, um, specifically education um, having to do with technology. And at the end of every commission, uh, they come up with a resolution, a agreed conclusion, outlining the goals uh, or the objectives that were agreed upon at the commission. What are some things that Den Hollander noticed while he was at the conference? Yeah, well, um, I think one of the things that really stuck out to him was how hostile the UN uh, can be to conservative voices. Um, I actually spoke, had the opportunity to speak with um, a representative from CFAM, which is another Christian conservative organization. And he said that during one of their um, speeches, they were like heckled by the audience. Um, I think it was a a speech about like abortion and they were obviously pro-life and the crowd, there was people in the crowd booing them and harassing them. So that's kind of gives you an idea of how it is to be a Christian or a conservative um, at the UN. And Mark also noted that there's a big disparity between Western and non-Western countries as they approach these issues. Um, For example, he said that, you know, America tends to focus on a lot of culture and cultural and social issues such as, um, you know, pushing gender ideology in school and so on. Whereas uh, he said one example from the um, Congo where they were giving a speech about how 
there is ongoing violence in the country, which is preventing women from having access to health care. And he also added that a lot of the violence is actually being perpetuated by Western countries who are providing rebels and forces in the Congo with arms. Um, so it really just, he really noticed the disparity and the tension between Western and non-Western worldview and how also the West often tries to push their cultural norms on, you know, Asian, African, um, South American, Caribbean countries that don't actually want to accept those norms. Was Den Hollander introduced to any noteworthy people while he was at this conference? Yeah, he was really happy to meet people from all over the world. Obviously, it's the UN, so there's 190-something member states, I think, um, as well as agencies and groups from all over the world. And he had the opportunity to get breakfast one day with uh, diplomats from South Korea and India, which is pretty cool. All right. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. Thank you. You have been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're your hosts, Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian online at hillsdalecollegian.com or on Instagram and Twitter at hdalecollegian. You can also find previous episodes of the Collegian Week in Review online at cwir.transistor.fm. Once again, you have been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.